Well, our guests today have made a film generating lots of talk in the indie uh, gaming community, and that's a long ways off from Qbert or Pole Position or Super Mario Brothers. Uh, Lisanne Peugeot and James Swirsky, writers, directors, editors, and cinematographers for one of this year's Sundance films entitled Indie Game the Movie, join us via telephone. Indie Game the Movie follows the dramatic journeys of indie game developers as they create games and release those works in themselves to the world. Introverted and obsessed with their game projects, uh, these developers divulge information about the beginnings of their creativity and their upbringing. Lazanne and James successfully raised large sums of money in two Kickstarter campaigns, one in the summer of 2010, where they exceeded their $15,000 goal by raising over $23,000. And in June of 2011, they reached out to the community again through Kickstarter with another um, pre-order campaign to help with finishing costs of the film, and the response was overwhelming. Um, this time, the gaming community came through again and they reached their $35,000 goal in just over 24 hours. Wow. Which I, I just can't believe. That's just amazing. The campaign closed with over 200% of its goal, mm -hmm. over $71,000, enlisting the help of nearly 1,600 backers. Welcome via telephone, Ms. Lizanne Peugeot and Mr. James Swirsky. Welcome, guys. Hi. Hi. Hey, hey, guys. Hey. Great intro. You know, we haven't seen uh, the entire film, but the trailers and the, the various interviews that we've seen look incredible. And, uh, you know, the footage looks amazing mm -hmm. and uh, the story is intriguing. So this is one of our 2012 must-sees. Absolutely. And the music there, too. I, we had, I like we had to mm -hmm. sneak in as much of that music as we could for, for that opening part really there. Cool. Um, you can connect with Lizanne on Twitter, at Lizanne Peugeot, and James, at, uh, at James Swirsky. And also make sure you follow Indie Game Movie. Well, first off, congrats on Sundance. It's an oh, thank you. amazing feat. <laughs> and when do you go? When do you arrive there? Uh, we leave Wednesday, early, early Wednesday morning. And then the film premieres on Friday. Friday night. Friday afternoon, afternoon yeah. yeah. So that'll be really the first time that an audience will have seen the film, the first time that we'll see it in the theater ourselves. Wow. Um, so it's pretty big. Yeah, it's funny. We, we actually, yesterday, we did a count of how many people have seen this film, and we counted about 35 people. Oh. So it's, it's like a ridiculously small sample size of people that we're working with right now. So, so far, 35 out of 35 people have liked it, which is good, but it's, it's <laughs> so small. And so it's, it'll, be, it'll be so amazing to actually show it to you know, hundreds of people or you know, thousand, over 1,000 by the end of it. Um, yeah, so it should be should be awesome. No, I mean you guys are bursting on the scene. That's I mean, can, really can, cool. can you first take us back? You know, when and how how did you find out the news about Sundance? Mm. Oh, we were uh, actually showing the film to a couple of characters in the film. They uh, they live in Santa Cruz, California. Edmund okay. McMillan and his wife, and uh, another character was there, uh, Tommy Refinies. And so we just shown them the film. Um, like the day before, yeah. and then we were at a Starbucks in Santa Cruz downtown. We're from Winnipeg, so it's <laughs> lovely there. <laughs> um, and uh, we were sitting in a Starbucks, and we got the call. And uh, it was very kind of surreal. It was surreal to get compliments about your film from like people that watch 500 docs a year. That was that was kind of bizarre. And it's kind of the typical, like, because I've read stories of other Sundance people, you know, hearing the news, and they talk about you know just getting overwhelmed and 
inexplicably, you know, breaking into tears. Uh, and that's that's kind of what we did. So we were in a Starbucks, and we just ended up kind of in the most, you know, respectable way possible, sobbing in the corner of it. Wow. We must have looked like freaks or like a couple that's breaking up, but <laughs> we're both very sad about it. And, um, yeah, so it was, it was it's an yeah, amazing, surreal experience to have that happen. Because it doesn't feel real. It, even right now, it doesn't feel real. Yeah, but no. um, it will soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it certainly is real. You know, and when you guys submitted the film, I mean, did you have any indication that you guys were going to get into the festival? You know, because we, we all know the only way to get into Sundance is you have to know somebody. So who, who was the connection that put you guys over the top? Was it Kevin Smith? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we had no idea. Like, we like when we started this project, our, our goals were pretty humble. Like, all we wanted to do was make a film, and we knew that there was an audience online because of the first Kickstarter campaign. And we thought we were going to market it online, and that's sort of where it would live. And the idea of festivals what didn't really become present like present to us at all until like maybe after we had done the majority of shooting and we were editing and we were like, well, you know, maybe we should try to debut this somewhere. And so we worked really hard and crunched really hard to try to get it together for the Toronto Film Festival, which we didn't get in. <laughs> um, and that was a big rush. That was a lot of stress because you know, everything is sort of heightened at that point. Like our, our goals were modest initially, but because there had been so much attention about the film and people had got, gotten really excited, we thought, oh, well, are we doing ourselves a disservice by not attempting to premiere at a festival? Um, this is our first feature. We, you know, we haven't really done the festival circuit or any of the sales stuff or anything like that. So, mm. yeah, so we sort of approached it. Uh, it our, our expectations kind of changed as we were making it. I mean, did you guys almost not submit the Sundance? I mean, did you almost say, you know what, let, let's just forget the festivals? I mean, how close were you to that to that end of the game? Uh, pr pretty, pretty close. close, actually. Yeah, like we, um, you know, we're from Canada, and we kind of uh, our initial like dream premiere um, at, at one point in production were, was kind of uh, we thought, you know, if we're going to be able to do a big premiere anywhere, it would be Toronto because we kind of have a little bit of a home field advantage, and mm -hmm. they fo you know feature Canadian content. Um, and we kind of thought to ourselves, you know, if we can't make it in Toronto, well, then there's no way we can make it into Sundance because, you know, it's just, you know, because Toronto turned us down. But Toronto did see a different cut of the film, um, and we kind of, the, the film was just getting better and better, and, and we were encouraged to, uh, they said some wonderful things about it, and, you know, they, they said it, it's great and they like it, but it just doesn't fit this year. Um, and it, wasn't, it was interesting. It wasn't really ready, like, we had been only editing it for, th for like, less than three months when we showed Toronto. Yeah. Okay. And that, like, is sort of a lesson <laughs> in a way. Like, you don't want to show, uh, like, that early of a cut to a film programmer because they might, you know, just write you off. Because there's a lot of work to do still on the film. Like, most yeah. films take months and months to cut. And really, ours ended up taking, you know, uh, like, an intense three months, but then, like, two months of polishing. Yeah, but but the whole strategy kind of just right at the outset of this was um, we wanted we knew that we had an audience that wanted to see this film, um, and we knew that we could make a, a film that they would really like. Um, but our main goal, like our ultimate goal, was can we make a film that not only they would cherish, but also that a broader audience could relate to and it could resonate with. And as the movie, you know, kind of came to fruition and, and started to evolve, we started seeing that movie, that movie that perhaps other people could relate to. Um, and we kind of 
showed it around to a few people, and it, it seemed to like strike a chord with them as well. So it kind of gave us the confidence to to kind of pursue a festival mm-hmm. and, and to think that that would be that would be a good way to go. Um, because we always had self distribution kind of as our base plan, um, but we were kind of open to this whole other world that we we should give a shot. And so, kind of based on that thinking, we ended up submitting to Sundance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is that about right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You know, so so many filmmakers believe that Sundance is the golden ticket, you know, and, and many base their distribution strategies around a Sundance premiere that never happens. You know, what, what kind of expectations do both of you have going in here? I think uh, we're open to a lot of things. Like, we actually uh, had sort of like a whole distribution plan set up before we found out. Doing a, a self-organized tour, doing a lot of the amazing things and, that uh, Gary Hussett has done, the the creator of Objectified, Helvetica, and Urbanized, he's done incredible things on his own. And we totally took a page from him and took a page from the indie game developers that are in the film. They do digital distribution on their games, and they're doing incredibly well. And so we had devised a plan prior to Sundance, and then Sundance uh, happened, and everything sort of got put on hold. So we're going in there like thinking, you know, if we can get a broadcast deal or something, that would be awesome. But if things don't suit our goals of having this online um, as fast as possible, then we may not go with those traditional type deals. It really depends. Yeah. Like the the base thinking going into Sundance is that we had this kind of self-distribution model that we were very happy with. Um, But we know that there's a whole bunch of opportunity um, that could... Uh, kind of either augment it or replace it or, or just kind of... Like propel the film to yeah. to an audience beyond what we think our sort of target audiences or our niche audience. Because the film is sort of an emotional journey about people following their dreams, essentially. That's what it is. And uh, I think a lot of people, even people who aren't won't identify as gamers per se, will uh, get something from it. And so it's reaching that broader audience that we we don't necessarily have the ability to do and so if there's somebody or a group that can do that that would be super exciting but at the same time if nothing happens we're okay (laughs) when you went in to get these interviews from these various developers what was sort of the essence that you wanted to capture like what was the main thing you wanted to take away from each interview to kind of humanize them or what what was the, the thing that you wanted to show I think we we really wanted to show what the creative experience is like and being creators, we know that there are ups and downs and there are moments of vulnerability and feeling like you don't know what you're doing, but then there's also moments of inspiration. And being being able to get intimate, real interviews from people was really important to us. We spent a lot of time with the people in the film. We got to know them over the series of like months. And um, getting their trust was a big part of what we did. We wanted to show them. We showed them stuff like we would cut stuff to show them, like initially, to say, you know, we know what we're doing. We're going to treat your story with respect and treat it well. At the same time. Yeah, and when we when we showed them stuff, it wasn't uh, it wasn't so much to show them where their story is going, uh, but it was it's more like to prove ourselves actually to say, you know, you're in competent hands. Like we, you know, we're you know we're not going to do a disservice to your story. Um, mm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so we, you know, like like all interviewers, you do a ton of research. You research both, you know, what you want the the person to say. We our film is there's no narration. Our style is very much getting people to speak honestly and describe the experience 
so that we don't necessarily need to use narration and things like that. Um, so you you know you create a, a question line to to get that. Um, but also we were there a lot. Like we were really there during crucial moments and. And in those moments, I think by that time, we felt really comfortable with them and, and comfortable enough that they could describe what they were feeling like in the moment and not feel sort of reserved about it. Because, you know, in the film, like, shit goes down. Like, things don't work out. They're in a position where we are, where they're on the cusp of spending, like, you know, two years on something and then stuff doesn't work out. And it's devastating. Mm. And we were really lucky that they felt comfortable not comfortable enough to share that sort of disappointment and those sort of things. Mm -hmm. Because if someone was filming me right now going through all this, yeah. I, I, I would be incredibly guarded. Well, that was my next question, because now that you're further along in this and you sort of have more writing on everything, you've gotten a ton of press and you've had two very successful uh, you know, Kickstarter campaigns and, and you're going to Sundance. How are you handling it? I know you said it seems surreal earlier, but sort of time-wise, emotionally, are you balancing another job with all of this? Yeah, no, no, no other job for sure. Um, actually, okay. when we started this, we were naive enough to think that um, we were going to be able to, because we did kind of commercial and corporate work before, uh, we, we, we thought we could like bang off corporate gigs in between uh, some shooting and all that stuff. But um, no, this, this movie has completely taken over our lives. Um, but then when, in terms of uh, the Sundance prep and all that, uh, as soon as like the Sundance announcement happened, uh, all of a sudden, immediately that day, we got a thousand emails, a thousand plus emails. And then the Jeez. next day you get like 800 and then 500 the next day. Oh my and um, it, it was yeah, completely crazy. And all these like really flattering emails uh, from people that, you know, we we personally felt like we had no right to talk to in terms of like industry industry uh, stuff and ranking and all that stuff. And um, so it's a whole bunch of like really nice emails uh, and some like opportunistic emails. Like I'm sure as there's companies out there that send you stuff to like every person who's in Sundance. And so and then a whole bunch of other just neat opportunities. Wow. Um, and about um, three to four weeks since the Sundance announcement, that whole time, that whole period was spent sorting through those emails and figuring out uh, what we need to pay attention to, uh, what what we don't need to pay attention to, and kind of figuring out where the opportunity is in that, and just kind of organizing that stuff. And um, I think, oh, oh, just one sec. Sorry. And uh, I think one of the things that has, sorry, so a knock at the door. Pizza delivery? <laughs> sorry about that. Not, not just emails, there's Domino's? knocks on the door okay. as well. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, so it, basically uh, we had, like, tons and tons. You have, like, this huge laundry list of things that you need to do in order to get prepared for Sundance, uh, technical things and promotional things and just getting all your ducks in a row. And all, like, these thousand little things, I think, had this wonderful effect of distracting us from the, the epicness of the actual situation. So it, 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 felt, it felt numb. Like, it had this wonderful numbing effect. Um, and now that we actually have taken care of everything, and this probably ended two days ago, we finally, like, crossed the last thing off our list. It's all sinking in. Like, that numbness is wearing off, and, and now it's time to be excited and freak out and all that. When you're caught up in the logistics of, like, uh, you know, printing posters, talking to sales agents, figuring out whether you want to work with sales agents, looking at contracts, 
that all seems really immediate. And so, like, the, the feeling like the feeling of knowing that people are going to see our work for the first time has sort of been in the back burner. <laughs> but now it's becoming way more present, for sure. Uh, you know, just just hearing that, I mean, we're really humbled that you you would answer yeah, our email. I know. <laughs> you know, so, really somehow Film Careers got through. So. <laughs> it didn't go to the spam filter. I don't know what happened. So, we, we thank you for that. Yeah, thank you. Well, I think it's interesting, too, because uh, we're, we're all sort of, we can read books and see videos from experts on what to do to get to that level, but we don't know what to do when it comes. And I think that's interesting that you've talked about how it's been very numbing because there's not really a roadmap for what to do when that success does come. And I'm curious, are there things you can recommend to other people who, if they're listening now and are going through it or if at some time they do, you know, how do you prioritize those emails? Um, how, how do you deal with this whole flood of everybody wanting something from you? If, if we had good advice, we, <laughs> uh, we would have had it. Um, we ended up uh, being very lucky to talk to a couple of filmmakers uh, that in the doc space um, just to, to get their advice, and that was Gary Cusick and uh, and the filmmakers behind Marin Call. Um, yeah, and a couple other ones, Yeah, too. a couple other ones, but, too. But that, Kings of Pastry, too. Yeah. yeah. And so we basically were bombarded with lots of opportunity, but you don't, I don't know, like, I guess we come from a place where we don't really trust anybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We've made the film, just the two of us, and bringing on people that want to work with you now is scary. It's it's exciting, but it's, you you don't want to give up a piece of what you're doing. So we spoke to uh, these filmmakers to get a sense of lay of the land, like really like who's good, who's not good, what should we do, what do you think, like what do you think we should do, what did you do, what would you do different, yeah, what would you do different, and mm-hmm. and all those sort of things. And and uh, I think I wish I would have had a month ago weird it feels like a year ago uh i wish i had a bit more perspective on some of these things i think a lot of people in this world um because sundance is so it's so big and it's so quick like it gets announced at the beginning of december and then a month and a half later it happens and if you don't have your business sort of side for sundance set up it's it's a lot of pressure but these people people are trying to put you like trying to put you in a position they're great salespeople, and they want you to make a decision right away because that's what they're good at, getting people to make a decision right away on behalf of you. Um, so that was sort of, they, there was just a lot of stress. Yeah, yeah. in those days following Sundance, we uh, we had, or following the Sundance announcement, we had probably about three, four, five conference calls a day uh, to like different wow. sales agents and different opportunities. And um, there was kind of like this overarching feeling with a lot of the, these people uh, that if you don't make a decision quickly, you're going to blow it. Yeah. You're, going to, you're going to absolutely blow it, and this is your one chance, and, you know, you got to sign with us really quickly because time's a-wasting. Um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't that strong-armed, but that was kind of the sentiment of it. Um, and we ended up going with people that didn't talk that way uh, because that's just kind of we're pretty practical, pragmatic people, and we just knew that wasn't really the case. But there's, like, this, this overarching pressure that I think is somewhat real but also somewhat fabricated um, because this whole – I don't know, this whole experience, like the whole movie is about people who are empowered by technology, empowered by self-distribution, and that's the how we started this, this film. You know, we were empowered by doing it ourselves, and we did absolutely everything up until that point ourselves. So we were kind of going into all these conversations thinking, you know, we know that we can do X number of things ourselves, and that will lead to, you know, Y results, hopefully. Um, what can these people offer us that we can't do ourselves? And 
the best advice that we got were from other filmmakers that, you know, told us, you know, basically, like, you can do a lot of this, of this yourselves. Like, these, some of these people can take you places that you can't go and that you'll benefit from, but a lot of it, you know, you don't necessarily need them. Like, you can make calls and you can make deals yourselves. Um, but, you know, so it was, it was a really that would be my my biggest piece of advice is, is find other filmmakers that have been through it mm-hmm. and just ask them questions um because people people like to share like we like to share and we know that you know next year or the you know years after that we'll happily tell anybody you know who will listen like who are in a similar experience or similar situations like what we went through um yeah yeah and i guess like talk to other filmmakers and realize that you have time to make a decision and you don't need to sign anything right away and everything isn't as urgent as everybody's telling you. <laughs> it is urgent, but it is not urgent, that urgent. But not that urgent. Well, yeah, there you go. For sure. Interesting. Yeah, so it sounds like that was the way you did sort of the gut check as to who was legit and who wasn't, was how urgent was their pitch. And in slowing them down, you kind of shook out all of sort of the snake oil salespeople. Sounds like yeah, mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it is it is a, like it is a fast timeline. Like getting like we just we really had no idea like what is all involved in in going into Sundance. Like we just we didn't know. There's like you like the schedule at Sundance is overwhelming. <laughs> like it's it's incredible, but it's looking at it right now makes me tired. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it's so exciting at the same time because this is what we've been working for for so long. So it's. Like, I almost I laughed with my friends the other day. It's like people get married uh, to feel like they have attention in some ways. And <laughs> and going to Sundance to me is like a big wedding every day over and over and over again. We are on the line with 2012 Sundance filmmakers James Swirsky and, and Lizanne Peugeot. Uh, their indie film, Indie Game, the movie premieres in five days on January 20th. And and let's go back a little bit or, you know, or, or let's, I guess, dive a little bit deeper into... Um, what is it exactly that you two do every day to become better storytellers and filmmakers? Yeah, I, I, I don't know what specific we do, but I, I knew it was, it was really important. Uh, we just kind of keep on working. Uh, we, we just keep on making stuff. Like um, for the past eight years, um, maybe almost ten years actually, um, I've been doing corporate work and Lizanne has been doing uh, stuff with me for about five years now, but before that she was at uh, CBC uh, Broadcasting Tough. And um, a lot of times it, we were doing these gigs and we were doing these contracts that, you know, weren't ideal, you know, like they weren't exactly what you wanted to be doing, but um, they were work. They were work and it got you, you know, using a camera, telling the story or making a point, you know, using, uh, using video and film. And we just churned out a lot of stuff. Uh, some of it bad, some of it good, a lot of it bad, actually. And it's just um, the past 10 years, it's been like just an evolution of projects. You know, like each project is a little bit bigger than the last, a little more ambitious, and you get better with each and every one. And like it got to a point, like I, it's weird. I haven't picked up a camera um, since doing this movie um, for about uh, five months. Yeah, there's a little little shoot in between there, and that is – like I'm going through withdrawal. Like I'm, I'm, I'm shaking. Like because over the past ten years, I, I would be shooting like almost every, every week or almost every second week doing a different project, and it was just this, this huge volume of work um, that just kind of led and evolved into this point uh, of where it felt right to do this movie. 
I think we were pretty lucky in terms of when we got into filmmaking and making videos and I worked in television. Um, we came out when digital cameras, like the old, you know, the video, like it's weird to say old cameras, like the, like, a, like, uh, like video ones. XL, yeah, those type of cameras were available, PD, like PD-150s and things like that. Um, and we were able to shoot and edit on, like that, that reality existed when I started in video when I was like 18. And that was amazing that you could shoot and edit something yourself because only a few years earlier, um, like even working in broadcasting, you couldn't shoot on the SX camera and you couldn't work in like in, you know, the jobs are really segregated in that sort of world. But in the reality that we came up in, you could do everything yourself. And I think that's, been really useful. And just uh, the volume. Yeah, yeah, and just led us to do lots of different things. Like the cameras that we use have changed and our process has changed a bit. We still use Final Cut Pro, um, but it, we've just done a lot. Like there's a lot of different ways, I think, to get into filmmaking, um, working through, like working on big productions, working your way up and, and, and you know, and working on big feature films or big television shows. And we didn't do that. We just made stuff on our own over and over and over again until we got better. And I, I wouldn't. I would recommend that to anybody who wants to to get into filmmaking or video or television is just to make stuff. It's so exciting now that you can make stuff and put it off, put it out on Vimeo, and get feedback from other people making stuff. Before you would have to, you know, go around and film festivals with your short film to try to to reach out to people and to improve on what you're doing. Now you can you can make stuff on your own at a very low cost. You just have you just need the time to do it. And to be able to get that online feedback is awesome. Yeah, yeah. And it actually, going back to like the storytelling thing, like a, a lot of like the, the commercial stuff was telling stories that we didn't necessarily want to tell. Um, in, in a way, like like telling like stories, you know, like where you know it wasn't our personal story, but it was being forced to work with someone else's message and do a really good job of it. Mm -hmm. um, and that practice that actually led to you know, uh, this wonderful skill set that once you did have that story that you wanted to personally tell, you knew how to tell it. You were just a better storyteller. I think what James is saying is we've dealt with a lot of boring topics. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and highly, un, like, not very visual things to try to create programming out of. Like, we've done, mm -hmm. a, we've done things from, like, construction to, like, the breeding of Holstein cows. Like, <laughs> It's all over the place and stuff that we've done, and I think we we feel confident now, or we just began to feel confident when we started the film, where we could make something out of nothing. And and then once you got something, you can make something out of something. It's great. In the last two years, are you doing a lot of creative stuff or more? administrative work, replying to emails, um, you know, is some of that creativity um, sort of been on the back burner a little bit because now you're doing more sort of the work of a marketer or a, of an agent or something? We've been doing the creative stuff and the producing and the marketing simultaneously. Have you? Um, okay. We started uh, shooting, we, we launched the project in May 2010. We were shooting all of our, like, basically trying to, like, build up a war chest of money um, so that we could actually take some time off to make the film up until September. Then we shot until we were on the road for three, four months. Three, four months. Uh, came back, did a little more editing in early 2011. And basically, we're editing and shooting up until the summer. And all simultaneously, we were trying to, like, 
release clips. We were releasing clips from the very beginning, cutting stuff, doing pre-orders, doing pre-orders, answering every single. It was really important to us to like engage audience really early and to engage them well. Um, so we answered every single email that we got. We've gotten bad at that lately. Yeah, but. It, now it's, it's getting a little overwhelming, but we still do, do try to do as much as we could. When we'd answer every every Twitter mention. Um, you know, every Facebook post, everything. And wow. um, yeah, so it was kind of like this whole holistic approach of making the movie and then also promoting the movie at the same time. Um, because it, it's kind of funny. Uh, it led to this weird little thing online where people feel that this movie has been in the works forever. And it hasn't. It's actually been like 19 months from, you know, our first Started production to actually delivering it. So it was a really actually a pretty, you know, that's a nice tight timeline. It's not bad at all. But online, it seems like they've been yeah. hearing about this movie for forever. And so, when you're online, it's like dog years, you know, like it's like one year is actually seven. So it feels like this has been like Avatar. But it's funny. Yeah, that's kind of been our experience so far. But everybody's been great about it. You know, you know, we can certainly relate to, to trying to get back to as many tweets and as many emails. Also, Ben, because we were putting out um, extra segments throughout the production, it was actually actually really creatively motivating because, like, we could have made this and not revealed, like, a trailer or anything until we were done. Um, but because we were able to sort of try things out through these sort of web pieces and, and, and it also, you know, helped build an audience, I, I, it was just, it was great to get that feedback it was validating. It showed that we were kind of on the right track and producing stuff that people wanted to see uh, because we would put out these pieces that were reflective of, they weren't from the actual film, but they were mm. reflective of kind of the you know, tone and themes that we were uh, approaching with, with the film. And people responded really, really positively to that. And that just kind of showed us that we were on the right track for sure. Yeah, and, and the pieces are excellent. You know, it, it's yeah. easy to kind of just go from one right into the next. You know, they're all well produced, beautifully shot. The music, mm -hmm. um, you know, you, you guys talked about you know kind of working for someone else for so long, and then being able to sort of break off and do this project. What what really enabled you to get behind this project? Because that's what we're all trying to do. We're all trying to leave whatever world we're in and go into the creative world. What has enabled you guys to do that? Uh, I think like they, they, you know, you you make you take risks when you like change what you're doing. I, I was working at CBC for six years, um, and that was a risk for me to leave and start doing our own stuff. And, and our own stuff was we did some small TV series stuff, and we did a lot of corporate videos, and that was a bit of a risk. And then that started to grow, and that started to become more comfortable working for other people. And we were getting to a point where we felt really good about it, and we started to make the money that we wanted to make, and then we stopped to take on this project. And I think, like, back a year and a half ago, we just had this confidence that it was going to be good. And not everyone realized, not everybody saw it, saw what we saw in it, but we knew that the content was really exciting and the stories of the people were amazing. And, and these guys were inspiring themselves. Like, they are like, you know, a lot of people that are likely listening to this. They're, you know, one or two people working on projects that they're incredibly passionate about, and they're achieving amazing success through the Internet. And watching them was like watching what we hoped to be, like we were shooting with them and then six months later we hoped to be where they were at or totally. we could relate to the feelings that they were going through. So I think the content was really motivating. But we, we saved a lot of money to do this. We did a lot of work. We kind of killed ourselves like trying to get everything done 
so that we could start the project. Um, so we saved a lot of money. The Kickstarter was a giant motivation. Having, you know, hundreds of people online give you money on a project that you hadn't really started, that was hugely motivating and really validating that there'd be an audience there for it in the end. And I think that's probably a huge factor for us, sort of giving up an income for the past year to do this. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I'm wondering, too, what parallels do you see between the indie gaming world and the independent filmmaking world in, in, in terms of the, the world sort of at large and then also with the artists in each of the worlds? Um, wh what are some of the parallels that you see? Oh, yeah, it was, it was uncanny. Actually, it, that was one of the things that drew us to this project was that we saw so much of our own experiences um, in, in these guys. Uh, because it's, it's basically we're two people uh, using very accessible technology, working on something by ourselves at home uh, on our computers. And they are teams of one or two people uh, with very accessible technology working on their vision and then releasing it to the world. And it, um, it was completely, you know, like a similar, similar vibe. And it's um, both industries seem to... Yeah, like like I think the creative experience is very similar. Um, like the the what you when you like we're doing a doc, so we're not necessarily creating a whole world. We're capturing a world, but there's all these decisions and thoughts and values and stuff that you put into it, and it's an incredibly personal film, even though it's not about us. It's about four other people, um, and they that's the same thing that they were putting into their games. Like they were making decision, decisions and choices as a way to reach out to people and share their story through their games, even though their games are about things like cubes of meat and, you know, uh, like little guys with fed hats. But they're, it seems right and weird, but they are very personal games and they're trying to be understood and they help other people understand them through that. So the creative experience is similar. The sort of the market conditions that we're both in are similar. What's exciting about what they what the world of indie games is is that it feels like they have massive audiences. Like it's incredible the kind of feedback and fan base that these guys have. You know, you may not know, you guys may not know Edmund and Tommy and and Phil and and John, but in the video game world and in that space, they're rock stars. Oh, wow. <laughs> they're yeah, they've got you know, there's people that like every time that they say something. Um, it becomes a news story in the gaming world, <laughs> and they have such big followings, and, and it, it's incredible the sort of world that exists, and we get into that in the film. Um, it, it's it's a little different than indie film, I, I, I think, in that respect, because there is this online fan audience. You know, so in that, reg in that regard... In that regard, which of the which artists have a better shot at sustaining their careers, uh, gamers or, or filmmakers? I think it's anybody that can make money at what they do and fund their next project. Really, I think it is it, either or. You know, and yeah, yeah. Oh, go ahead, go ahead, James. Oh no, no, go ahead. Yeah, I was just agreeing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm wondering with these developers, do they have day jobs outside of like some project that they'll work on, hoping that it catches on? Or, I mean, how does that all work? Some do. Uh, the the developers in the film don't. Um, they like to, to create a game like the games that they're making that are released on Xbox and Steam and uh, PS3 and Wii and stuff. It, it's like if when you're two people making a game, like if you're two people making a film, it's all encompassing. Um, 
And yeah, so all of these guys are sacrificing, you know, working at a bigger company, making $200,000 a year as a programmer to make their own game. Um, so they're in sort of the same boat uh, in terms of having to, you know, get rid of that stable income to do what you want to do. Yeah, and I, I think to do anything that's incredibly personal and incredibly well done, it, it just takes you over. And it seems for a lot of these games, um, like just having that day job just doesn't seem like an option <laughs> uh, just because you, you have to dedicate, dedicate your life to it. Um, yeah, it, it just yeah, it doesn't seem to be an option. Hmm, we wouldn't know anything about that. <laughs> well, are some of these people living off credit cards? I mean, to to sus, sus, excuse me to sustain themselves, are they are they doing that, or are they able to eke out a little bit of money and maybe get an upfront deposit or something? How do they? It's it's all personal risk. It's oh. all it's all like credit cards and only wow. you know living off of ten thousand dollars for you know four years. It's wow. that's and that's what we see in the film is the massive sacrifice that they make to get their their stories out through their games. Um, you know, like they they could have potentially gotten publishers and advanced deals or or that sort of thing, but uh, they wanted to make their own vision and not necessarily have anybody to answer to. And that's that's the risk you have to take to do it. In the same way that we did have all the Kickstarter people, but it's not like they had a creative say in what we were doing. Um, uh, you know, we just had a responsibility to, to we have a responsibility to give them a good film. Um, but that's the same position that we're in. We could have taken on investors earlier on, but we didn't want to. We didn't really need to. Yeah, you didn't. Yeah, because we we own the equipment and it, we own the skill set. We didn't need to hire anyone, so the actual costs were pretty low. Uh, and that's the same with independent development. Like you, you just need a computer and your brilliant mind and a great vision, and that's kind of that's that's enough to get you started. And I I know in talking to Edmund, uh, one of his secrets to success is like. You ask him like how he did this, and he's like, "I'm really good at being poor. Like, <laughs> if you want to be an indie game developer, you need to be okay with it." And now he's a millionaire. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. But it. you need to be okay with like living in that one-room apartment and yeah. eating ramen noodles for a long, long time, and not having that guarantee of success. And as long as you're okay with that, you'll you'll be fine because you know, you'll you'll make your game, and it it will be what it'll be, and you'll get it out there. Yeah, I love that. I'm just wondering, though, how do they sort of compartmentalize that stress? Because for me, money stress is like one of the worst stresses that there are. But I, I totally get that, being kind of, you know, saving up and having a cushion. And But how do they sort of compartmentalize? Was there Were there parts of the film that showed them stressing out about money and not knowing where? It's an incredible, stressful existence. And, and we would attest to that as well. Yeah. I, mean, I don't think I don't think there is compartmentalization. Like I don't <laughs> think uh, I don't think they do uh, separate it from the experience. Um, I think it's all this one big lump of experience, uh, lump of like creative experience, mm -hmm. financial stressors, everything. Like it's not. Um, it's just this big messy creative mm -hmm. experience process. Interesting. Anxiety. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No. It. it, it, it yeah, I wish it was easier. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I wish it would be easier. And, and I think, you know, in history, artists have had patrons and stuff like that and have been able to do their own stuff. Um, that doesn't exist anymore or it, it, as, much, it, yeah. as much. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, it, it like it's... And we are on the line with Indie Game, the movie filmmakers... Lizanne Peugeot and James Swirsky. Um, can, can you guys uh, take us a little bit into your production process? You know, because we love the look of everything we see that you guys do. 
you know, for instance, we, we've been talking about Santa Cruz a little bit. What, what was that shoot like? You know, do, do you meet with the game developer first and then go and shoot footage around the pier? You know, and then in terms of the interview, like how, how long do you set up the lighting and, and frame the composition for the interview and how long are you sitting down for? So can you take us a little bit into the process? Sure, sure, yeah. Um, I think going into that shoot, uh, probably about two, three weeks before the shoot, uh, you know, we did like a telephone pre-interview. And, uh, we, you know, we're careful enough to go into detail so that we know what we're talking about and so that we know that uh, there's a story there and that we feel good about you know, doing the interview, uh, but not to go into too much detail as to, you know, have them tell you their entire life story on it and then kind of feel like they're repeating themselves once you do get to the interview. And then, um, so when we got to uh, Santa Cruz, we were sitting in Edmund and Danielle McMillan's apartment, mm. uh, and Tommy Rushney's partner uh, worked out of there too. And it was a super nice place, like really. Like 200 square feet. Yeah. Yeah. So we got there, and as soon as you get there, you're completely invading the private space in a way. Like they're very cool about it and they're very awesome people, but you're, you're like living with them because there's nowhere to go. Um, so we tried to keep lighting uh, at a minimum, minimum um, and we shot using Canon 5D Mark IIs, mm-hmm. uh, and those things can do remarkable things with very little light. Um, so a lot of it, I think the majority of the stuff that we shot uh, interview-wise for Santa Cruz um, was one key light and then just kind of using either the window as, as a fill. I, I, I can't remember how it went, but I think we used the window actually was the key light, and then we just kind of filled it in. And the then, uh, yeah, so we would go in and we shot uh, interviews with them, but we shot interviews for two days. Um, so we uh, interviewed, I think, Edmund for four hours, um, Tommy for a couple hours. We inter- interviewed the two of them together over two days. We interviewed the wife, and then we shot them working. And we shot um, his wife working. We also did some scenes outside in Santa Cruz that didn't actually make it into the film um, of them out and about in Santa Cruz. Um, we would shoot exteriors. James would wake up <laughs> at like five in the morning to get uh, dawn shots. We'd also nice. get shots, you know, in the in sort of the magic hour at the end of the day. Um, the whole experience would have been four or five days, mm-hmm. and that was basically got us our, our first test piece, which was five minutes. Um, and and a lot of it is very similar. And then when we got into like actually following action and following. Uh, drama. There was a lot of pre-planning. As, as much as it sounds weird to say that when you're following, you know, something in the moment, there's a lot of pre-planning going into when you're going to interview them, when you're going to interview, and ask certain questions, um, just so that you know, cinematically, you're asking different questions in different scenes. Um, and then sometimes it doesn't work out, <laughs> and you just have to, you just have to work with it as is. Yeah, yeah, and like every every shoot had um, a shot list uh, that we hoped to get, and every shoot had you know Q and A list of of sentiments that we hoped to get to capture, mm-hmm. and we usually got what we wanted, um, but there was always always stuff that would pop up and surprise us, or we there was always stuff that we couldn't get, um, and there were always it, it, it's weird like so many shots that I thought were throwaway shots when I was filming them, uh, just because I had extra time, ended up making the film. Yeah, shooting more is better, totally. Mm. And, yeah, and, and then, you know, things like all the surprises, 
like hopefully you guys will see the film when it's done but oh, yeah. it's like thing you get this amazing feeling when things that you didn't expect happen it's an incredible filmmaking experience to be witnessing something totally unexpected mm-hmm. and it makes the movie all that much better oh very mm-hmm. cool oh, well, we it sounds like wait. an amazing ride wait. and ah I, I, I feel what it must be like <laughs> to be in their shoes just to have this like flood of just Absolutely. emails and opportunities We've been speaking with the minds and creators behind Indie Game, the movie, Lazan Pachot and James Swirsky. And if you are attending Sundance next week, make sure to check the site for the various showings. It has a number of showings. Mm-hmm. And you know, we kind of said before we came on the air, we were going to sort of live out the Sundance experience through you guys. You guys are certainly <laughs> able to do that for us and much, much more. It's been such a pleasure having sure you guys has. join us on Film Curse today. Thank and you. And I just don't see how any independent filmmaker, I don't see how you can get by this year without seeing this film. I'm, I'm dying to see it. Yeah, I am too. I, I think we all have to see this one. So that, that that's our sort of like... That's our, our call to action. Yeah, that's our call to action. Everyone listening, you, you got to see this movie. Um, and you can hear that Lizanne and James are very accessible. You can find them on Twitter at Indie Game, the mo- at Indie Game Movie, uh, Lizanne Peugeot and James Swirsky. Um, check check their website um, to find out how to spell the names. <laughs> yeah, and, and the film's <laughs> website is IndieGameTheMovie.com and also on Facebook.com slash IndieGameTheMovie. We're, we're wishing you guys the best this week at Sundance, yeah. you know, and, and we're Thanks looking so forward to all the good things we're going to hear, and, and we certainly appreciate you guys taking the we time sure today, do. especially in this, this time crunch when, when you have so much going on. Yeah, thanks so much. Oh, uh, yeah, no, happy to do it. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, thank you so much. This is great. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. You guys are the best. You know, I feel like this is part one. I feel I feel I like we need we, a part two coming. We left a lot of questions on the table. And <laughs> we I, left a I lot really, on the table. I really want to find out more, uh, you know, but, um, you know, that's, that's we'll hit fun. you up, you know, and if, if, if okay. it, you know, if, if Sundance doesn't take you into a whole new realm and if you're still up for it, we'd, we'd love to get you back on <laughs> post Sundance oh, totally. uh, for part yeah. two. That for sounds sure. great. Yeah, no, we'd love to. All right. All right.